We're watching films on the toilet Cause that's what dads have to do When the movie's unsuitable for your kids Then pretend you need a number two If you need a break from your family or spouse There's a lavatorial picture house Watch Terminator 2 while you're sitting on the loo Enjoy the whole of Rambo 4 with your trousers on the floor We're watching films on the toilet How about you? So have you recovered from Glastonbury yet? Um, Glastonbury... I mean, my shoes split in half. What? Because usually you have to wear wellies. Yeah. And so, but the last four years, it's been hotter than hell. Yeah, it looked so hot this year. It was so hot. And so I wore like rubbish trainers that you don't mind ruining. Aren't people just horribly sunburned? Like all the time? All the time. There's nowhere to shade. Unless you're very close, because then the pyramid stage is a nice kind of sunshade. Yeah. It's not that the bands are popular, it's just we, we just want to be away from the sun. Yeah. <laughs> Rick Hassey's like, wow, I've never seen so many people come and see me before. It's like, we just want the shade, Rick. Yeah, we're definitely not here to see you. Oh, but yeah, my, my rubbish trainers that I wear, because I don't mind ruining them, well, they split in half, but one of them did. Yeah. And so I had to walk with half a shoe into the nearest shop. Luckily, they had duct tape. And so I... Bought duct tape and just wrapped it around the shoe like I was mummifying it. People must do that with all sorts of items at Glastonbury. Yeah. I, I mean, I was quite lucky. I was in a hotel and so I got to shower and, and have a bed every day. But it didn't feel like, I still felt like the great unwashed. I guess if you couldn't shower, you could just wrap yourself in duct tape every day to like stop the stink. Yeah. Encapsulate your, your stink. And then you just do that at the end of every day. I think what's lucky about nowadays is... Most of us have just got COVID when we go there. And so we can't smell anything anymore. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Well, um, welcome to Watching Films on the Toilet, a podcast in which usually two dads would talk about scary and violent movies that they have to watch on the toilet because uh, they can't watch them with their kids. In this case, I am a dad. My pal Raph is not a dad. Yeah, because we, we would need a new theme. We're watching films from the comfort of my own lounge because I'm blissfully childless. <laughs> that doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? doesn't. I quite like blissfully childless. That's good. <laughs> but you know, who are you, Raph, for our listeners? Who the hell are you? So I've known Ben since school, so over 30 odd years now. I know Eamon too. I hope I'm um, not disgracing his big, big shoes. No, Eamon, well, as you know, Eamon is in comedy prison. He will be listening to this on the iPhone he smuggled in just to listen to this podcast on. Hopefully banging his head against the wall. Probably. No, Eamon, he's, he's actually, he's made good friends with Roy Chubby Brown. Um, he says he's not as bad as you think. And uh, I think Eamon is going to be out fairly soon. So we'll we'll yeah. watch this space. But thank you for joining me, Raph. So Raph is, uh, yes, an old school friend uh, from, from Plymouth. From Plymouth. Great Bay. Great Bay, just like all my other school friends who lived in Plymouth. He doesn't live in Plymouth anymore. What a coincidence. And uh, you're a photographer, aren't you? You're a man who takes photographs. Yeah, kind of. I take photos of lots of bands and yeah. all my cats etc basically i'm a frustrated creative join the club mate so you know you you have a normal job but you also take a lot of uh, photographs of bands which are always awesome because you you've got skills my friend you've got skills with that photography thanks very much but here we are anyway frustrated creatives together on the toilet what one of us on the toilet we can break the rules we can bend the rules because it oh it is what it is mate 
To, to those of you who don't know that, that is a bona fide Plymouth accent. It is what it is. Like, at the end of the day, can't take it with you, mate. Can't take it with you. Actually, you saying that, I'm going to tell you a story about something that happened to me 30 minutes ago. I was on the train coming home, and it's London Pride Day or something today. Oh, yeah. Also, I think Take That are playing in Hyde Park, and Pulp are playing in Finsbury Park. So you get a lot of cross-section of, of people. And I was just about to get off my train, and this child, I say child, he was about 22, just tapped me on the shoulder. Yeah. And, and I turned around and he went, smile. What? <laughs> I know. And I went, don't ever touch me again. <laughs> How did he react to that? He went, oh, okay, sorry. As if I was the idiot. If I was, I was the antisocial one. What did he expect you to say? Oh, thanks for noticing I'm not smiling, mate. I'll be sure to turn yeah, that up. He, he tapped me on the shoulder as well. Oh. Anyway, today we are going to be discussing... Indiana Jones and the what's the what's the second bit the dial of and uh, smouldering corpse of a dying legacy I don't that's know. it and the <laughs> dial of destiny the dial of destiny which we've both seen very recently uh, we're going to chat about that later first of all do have some correspondence from last week uh, it's a voice note which I will play hello it's celebrity chef Rick Stein here. I know we've had our differences in the past, but I wanted to reach out and discuss something you mentioned on the last episode of your podcast. You suggested that sushi or oysters could be eaten off the lid of a toilet cistern if you were to straddle the toilet bowl backwards, and that seafood was the food of the bathroom. Initially I was horrified by this statement, the thought of people eating what I consider to be the greatest food in the world whilst defiling the surrounding area made me quite upset. But once I'd cracked open a few lobsters and shouted obscenities at some fishermen in Padstow Harbour, I felt a lot calmer. <laughs> you look like you've been awake since three o'clock in the morning, I said. Must be tricky to maintain a relationship with those unsociable hours, I added. I bet your wife's considered having an affair with someone who works a nine to five job. And that's when they started chasing me, so I stopped. After I caught my breath, I saw a great business opportunity. We have a lot of scroungers who come into the restaurant just to use the toilets. So what if we laid a platter of expensive seafood dishes on the cistern that they had to purchase before they left? We trialled it in my Padstow cafe and made an extra £500 a week. Some people were coming into the bathroom for a quick snack. They didn't even need to piss or shit. So thank you for the inspiration, and if you've got any more bright ideas, let me know. I have to go because those fishermen have just come into the restaurant. Bye. There we go. Rick Stein. It's so triggering hearing the name Rick Stein, because it's obviously we've moved to London since the first rational age we were allowed to leave. Yes. And it's impossible to not go home. And have your family tell you one of the one of the selling points for why you should come and move back home is there's a Rick Stein re restaurant there. This because there's three Rick Stein restaurants in Cornwall. And of course, we don't have good restaurants in London. Not near Plymouth either. <laughs> yeah, not near Plymouth. If you drive about an hour and a half into Cornwall, you'll find one of Rick Stein's restaurants. It's really nice. You got to book six months in advance. You got you got a book, but it's really nice. But it's nice of Rick to reach out because last time. Anyone actually set me up for a fall with Rick Stein because he he tried to set up a beef with me and Rick Flair, but he ended up doing it with Rick Stein, and we exchanged insults back and forth. So it's good that I'm 
on better terms with Rick now, and maybe I can suggest some more uh, seafood slash toilet related incentives for his restaurants. Can you think of any? I think muscle, something muscle related. <laughs> yeah. That's where my brain went. <laughs> I think maybe you. Crab. Crab. You could put ice inside the toilet cistern, couldn't you? You could ice that water and have maybe a bottle of champagne inside while you have yeah. your seafood on top. I mean, it's, it's luxury. This is a luxury. Two Michelin stars. Yeah, absolutely. You can take that idea as well if you like, Rick. Terrific. Good. Okay. A little bit of toilet news for you, Raf. How do you... I'm not going to ask because you've just got to do it. This is from the Daily Mail, uh, which I know is your favourite newspaper, isn't it? I only read it because Eamon t- sends me quotes and clippets from it every day, <laughs> particularly all of the misogyny. So, and so yeah. I, it's not my favorite newspaper but I, I do hear about it secondhand well you're more of a sun man aren't you it, it's uh i actually hadn't read an article from the sun for quite a while but i was doing a bit of toilet news research and there was one in the sun and i was struck by how few words the article consists of it really is written for six-year-olds yeah, isn't it more adverts than words it's remarkable anyway here's the story I would have said no. Man pops the question outside of an airplane toilet and faces furious backlash over the awkward proposal. Uh, The sky-high engagement was recorded on a packed flight to Cancun, Mexico. The passenger knelt in the aisle alongside his fellow travellers with a ring box. He eagerly awaited the unsuspecting bride-to-be to come out of the toilet. So yeah, this guy waited outside a toilet on an aeroplane for his for his girlfriend to come up whilst kneeling down with a ring. And there's video. All the passengers in the plane are like cheering um, as she walked out and I think she accepted. But it's all a bit weird. Like she could have been in there for a while. Yeah. Also, like as he pops the question, you hear the sound of that sort of vacuum packed, like flush. Yeah. Like, boom. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's yeah. quite a captive audience because if she says no you've got to fly the rest of the flight with her yeah all couple are arguing again on on seat row three that's right it's like everyone quiet everyone quiet while they're listening to her about to come out of the toilet but possibly not mm, it's a bit grubby isn't it i think it's very disgusting and yeah. I, they both should have been arrested when the plane landed <laughs> Well, this is your captain speaking. We're going to have to turn the plane around due to the uh, couple who have just been arrested for this disgraceful act. We're going to have to land the plane in the sea. (laughs) But I wish them the best, but it's certainly a memorable proposal. Do you wish them the best? Uh, Well, you don't. I'm not sure I do. I think that you should be silent, you should be stationary, and even if I'm in row 25... You should let me get off the plane first. It's the rules of every plane ride I'm on. She could have come out trailing a toilet roll behind her that had got stuck in her pants. She, Who knows what she could have emerged having done. Have you ever seen a strange proposal like just happened in front of you that had nothing to do with you? No, I haven't. You've been to a lot of gigs. So people do that at gigs, don't they? They propose. I was at a concert and I was with my friend Helen and I was asking her about this the other day. And she has no memory of it, but I definitely... Yeah. I think it was, it's probably a big stadium gig like Coldplay or Kings of Leon or something. Yeah, it's probably Coldplay, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. Okay, everybody. Um, yeah. Also from Devon. Uh, like yeah, from Rick Devon, Stein. yeah. 
Uh, anyway, so this guy tapped me on the shoulder and said, hi, mate, I'm about to propose to my girlfriend. Can you can you take my picture? And I just went, definitely not. <laughs> it was pure instinct. It's taken about five minutes for the listeners to get a real understanding of your personality. <laughs> definitely not. That was a reaction. I'm here wasn't to it? watch the show, my friend. Did she say yes? I never gave them a second thought. <laughs> <laughs> Again, though, notice it's, it's all the it's the patriarchy, isn't it? It's all captive audiences. It's all I'm locking you in a situation where it's going to be so bad for you to say no. My proposal to my wife was very private. There was no one else around because I knew she would have hated that. And I was fairly <laughs> confident that she'd say yes. But all these people... You know, they're cowards, aren't they? They're cowards. By the way, if you just joined us, this is our, our marriage podcast. <laughs> they're doing it for performative, showy reasons, which denigrates the, the whole art of marriage in the first place. That's right. How... Didn't see that coming, did, did you, listeners? You didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> it got deep. And if you were to ever propose to someone, Rav, where would you do it? Um... Coldplay concert. No. <laughs> I, I, um, I tapped the guy behind me. Do you mind just proposing to her? <laughs> but again, it's a situation I'll, I'll never have to contend with because uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure I believe in the futility of marriage. Lovely. So onto the, uh, onto the film. How did you see Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, right? Um, I'm going to give you a lot of detail here. So Terrific. My, my private healthcare gives me a free cinema ticket every month if I do over 48,000 steps a month. Ah. So I, I advantage a cinema ticket to go see it at the the View West End. Hang on, hang on. Square. Let's wait. Take a few steps back. You pay for your private healthcare. Yeah. And they force you to walk and then claim they're giving you a free cinema ticket, yeah, which is yeah. probably about a quarter of the cost. Yeah, which is probably about six ninety nine with the non recliner seats. Unbelievable. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah, but it's good though, because the, the, the more points you get in your healthcare, the, the less your premiums are. So they're trying to keep you healthy. Good. Yeah. Terrific. Anyway. On that note, I have six months to live. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, yeah so I saw it the, the Warner View West End a few days ago because it only came out on Wednesday, didn't it? Yeah. I saw it yeah. the day it came out. It was recent. Yeah you, yeah. you did. I was surprised. I received a text from you saying that you'd seen it. And I, I was quite surprised that you'd seen it at all and as soon as you had i did like the former in i mean i'll be honest i watched a lot of the old indiana jones films recently mm. and i don't even think raiders holds up as well as it used to i mean temple i think is is quite boring but it's just it's a lot of the thrills are dated now and, and over it's quite racist isn't it <laughs> like chance. yeah <laughs> yeah sorry it's very racist isn't it but then it's funny, isn't it? That exact actor has just won an Oscar. I know. So it's, Amazing. Come, it's all come full circle. So racism pays? <laughs> I think the lesson. Knows, what he, knows a good actor when he sees one. Aside from his wife, who he put in the second one. My wife. My wife, Firewall. Um, Get off my wife. <laughs> so you saw the film, yeah. Yes, I saw the film and it, it was a pleasant evening. I saw this movie, I actually took my kids to see it and I'll tell you what their thoughts were on it as well a bit later. But we, we, we went this morning, early screening, pretty empty. My son went to the toilet at the end. That was it. Not much toilet. Not much toilet. I suppose you did go first thing in the morning. Yeah, been toilet. <laughs> Done the big morning wee. 
go to the cinema, do a midday one. Uh, and I t- we so the screening was at ten o'clock. The comp Perth finished at four minutes past one. Yeah, that's a long in it. When you when you go and see a ten o'clock screening to come out at one. Yeah, very long, very long. <laughs> anyway, before we get into that. I have a summary of the film to do, which is a summary of the film in the time it took you, sir, to do a long wee. And what did you drink to facilitate that long wee? I've been drinking my summer drink of choice, which is peach Malibu. (laughs) Classic Indiana Jones based drink. Firewall. You like the, uh, what's the word? The fruity drinks, shall we say, don't you? They've got a taste like they're not alcoholic. Yeah. I, I can drink a lot of alcohol, but like, you know, tequila or Sambuca, it's like drinking rat poison. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was in the cinema today, I was watching the ads and I remembered. Do you remember the advert for Southern Comfort and Coke? And they said, Soco, please. Yes. Soco, please. And it just suddenly popped into my head. And I wondered if anyone had ever asked for Soko. Uh, mate, get a Soko, yeah? Soko, sorry, what? A what? A Soko? Yeah, sorry, what is that? Soko, yeah? Yeah. It didn't take off at all, did it? No, because, I mean, you might be too young for this, but do you remember the old, really old, like, baby sham advert? You're, sorry, you're a year older than me. What do you mean I no, might be too I, I, young for this? What I meant this? was intellectually, because you like watching Marvel films. So I, in, my, in my head, you're 21 years old. Hey, I'll have a baby sham. Yeah, I remember he's that. Pretending everyone is too young for it. <laughs> Soco, please. Anyway, but all this has been building up to the fact that we are now sponsored by Soco, Southern Comfort and Coke. Uh, hey. So uh, after denigrating their good yeah, brand. And as I was saying, it never took off, but it will now. So uh yes, please order your Soco drink at your nearest alcoholic beverage establishment and at your nearest picture house cinema how much peach malibu did you drink i drank a fairly good portion but i think my period of urination probably lasted 48 49 seconds (sighs) okay that's there's a lot of exposition i need to get through so this is gonna be okay i'll give it a go ask me if i'm ready are you ready benjamin to do this yeah yeah i'm ready okay ready one, two, three, go. So we open in 1944 with Indiana Jones attempting to acquire an old spear from some Nazis, accompanied by his fellow archaeologist pal Toby Jones. Turns out the spear is fake, but luckily he stumbles upon half of a clockwork time travel dial thing, which he steals from Mads Mikkelsen, which makes the whole trip worthwhile. Then it's 1969. Indy separated from his wife Marion and his son Shia LaBeouf is dead. After packing in his job and without much else to live for, he bumps into his goddaughter Fleabag, who's looking for the time travel dial because it drove her dad mad or because she wants to sell it or because she wants to be the next indiana jones any of the above so after being framed for murder indy heads off across the world with flea bag to find the dial and stop some bad nazis they find one of the pieces lose it get it back find it again until eventually it directs them to a fissure in time which mads plans to use to travel back to 1939 and kill hitler so he can do a better job of winning the war but for a reason we sort of learn about just before they travel through the space-time tear-up thing they're transported back to 212 bc where they find roman soldiers and Archimedes. Indy wants to stay behind because there's nothing left for him at home, but Fleabag knocks him out and takes him back to 1969, where his wife is waiting for him because 
Happy ending, I guess. The end. Very good. Ah, oh, that was one one minute 13. Bit longer. I needed to drink more Malibu, clearly. You did. There was quite a lot to get through, though. You did well. Maybe too yeah. much, you might say. Too much. Too much. So, Raph, first of all, I think you've said that you didn't feel like the Indiana Jones movies of the past held up quite as well as you remembered them. They're very likeable, but I, I'm not sure if they're very good if you see what i mean yeah I do, I do know what you mean i went to the action movie film festival last week which was a treat and there was a panel with gareth evans neil marshall director of the descent uh, and martin campbell casino royale director and they chose their favorite action movie scenes of all time gareth evans chose the end of the wild bunch martin campbell chose french connection car chase, car chase yeah. and neil marshall chose the plane scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark where he gets on the plane and he fights and the plane's going round and round and then it all blows up. That was his his choice as a great action scene. And it is a great action scene. Uh, and it made me... It was good to see that having coming into this because there was nothing as good as that in this film. Yeah, I, I think Spielberg, we're going to kind of miss him when he's gone. Yeah. Because he, he makes it look so easy. Yes, and they're almost so slick, these sequences, that you almost don't notice that you're watching a big convoluted sequence because you're too busy being caught up in the film. Mangold, I mean, I really enjoyed Ford versus Ferrari. And I think yeah. Cable, I think 310 to Yuma is a remake, really good. And uh, I don't think he's a bad director, but I think... Safe pair of hands. Yeah, but that's that's probably why they got him on... I'm amazed they didn't give him a Star Wars film instead because he's, he's suited to, for Disney to just safely deliver what they want to do rather than... I think he's what, getting a Star Wars Well, film. yeah, because he's not an auteur. Yeah. He's no. a bit like Soderbergh. Even though Soderbergh has all the auteur motifs, he acts, you can't tell a Soderbergh film at all. And, and the funny thing about Indiana, this new Indiana Jones film, it's very enjoyable, but it for me, it felt very much like a TV episode because it's, it's quite a lot of close-ups, close-ups with a very busy backdrop. Yes. Whereas Spielberg uses a lot of space. Yeah. A lot of wide shots, which you don't really see any wide shots in this new Indiana Jones film. And it felt like a TV pilot or like a long... I mean, you can tell they've had about 15 different script drafts because it it was very clunky. But, but no, I, mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, what do you think? Well, I, it's funny you should mention the wide shots because there was one scene in particular I enjoyed because it felt like they were out of their depth <laughs> under the <Yeah>. sea <laughs> which was when they went under the sea there was genuine peril danger and there was a lovely wide shot under the sea which stood out to me because it looked quite beautiful and i hadn't really seen any of those yeah um, and that scene was really fun but generally i i just meh like I'll, my kids i'll tell you now as soon as it finished i said what did you guys think and they both went it was fine. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it, it was fine. It was definitely no more than that. But I would, I wanted more than that. I don't think that this did the Indiana Jones franchise justice. Well, it's a strange one because I quite enjoyed the last one. Uh, I think the Shia LaBeouf, whatever he's called, it yeah. was, a, was a bit of a mistake. But I think I kind of liked the way like this weird 1950s Area 51 aliens turn up at the end of the last one. Because I think that's a bit, yeah. I think you've got to be a bit interesting because I think I feel like we've seen every film ever made already. And that's what I liked about this one. The third act at least 
tried to be a bit, a bit batshit and a bit crazy. It certainly was that. I agree. I like that they took a risk at the end, but I don't think it worked. And I think there was an odd feeding of important exposition in this film. So there was a lot of exposition which bogged it down. But things like, oh, oh, his son's dead. Yeah. It was like, okay, uh, so we've got a, you know, the next piece of the puzzle is in Greece. Uh, my son died in Vietnam. And if we head west, we should get there soon. Like, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's an important thing that really plays into the emotional impact of the ending that I don't know yet. It was strange the way they just threw that stuff in. Yeah, it was obviously a four hour movie. That they, were like, they were like, we can't put it out as four hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was odd. And like Mads wanting to be Hitler. Like that, I like that. That's a good idea. But we found that out. It was, I'm going to go back in time and I'm going to I'm going to kill Hitler so I can do a better job. But there's the time tear and you're not going to get through it because of the continental drift. And now we're in... Yeah. What, what, what? It was And, and now we're in, we're in Rome. But also mad. And that's funny because I was thinking, who's this skanky old sea dog? And I, then I did a double take and I realised it was Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Who's in it for about four minutes. Playing a pivotal role. Yeah, yeah, I mean, playing an emaciated version of Quint from Jaws, essentially. Spain's best frogman. Yeah. <laughs> Just again, for some continuity, they bring back the guy that goes, Ah, oh, Indy! <laughs> Who's lost yes, about 100 yeah, pounds since that right. first. And, and uh, yeah. if you'd have told me it was a different actor, I'd have believed it. But no, Mads, for a great actor, is so underused like like they could have got any stock to the actor to play that role because it's the most cardboard villain i've ever seen in a recent blockbuster like he, he's barely in it and he he doesn't really have any charm he, it's a strange one it was so odd and but i feel like if we'd known his intentions from the beginning like that's yeah. a big deal right then he would have been a lot more sinister he, yeah they could have told us the twist from the beginning yeah they alluded to his you know he was racist he's a nazi He's a Nazi. He's racist. Oh, he actually wants to be Hitler. Like, that's quite an escalation, isn't it? From yeah. Nazi to th the main Nazi yeah. that we didn't know about. I, I didn't think he Hitler also, did a good enough job. I'm going to do it better than him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He also got hit in the face by a massive wooden pole at about 70 miles an hour. And he was fine. No scar, nothing. I would have loved to have seen how they developed this film because I imagine it's gone through so many rounds and, and it's been Disney-fied. In fact, you know what? It was quite heartbreaking to see the Disney logo. because <laughs> it, And that's exactly what they gave us, was a Disney film. It was, it was a Disney version of an intellectual property that they've basically raped and massacred. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite movie of all time is the 60s Planet of the Apes. And it's heartbreaking that that is now owned by Disney because God yeah. only knows what they're going to do to it. They, they'll get around to it. I thought your favourite film was the Tim Burton version of Planet of the Apes. Do you know what? The Tim Burton version of Planet of the Apes, that felt like a, a very early adopter for what's happening to lots of movies nowadays because that was such a non-Tim Burton film. Yeah. And you can tell the studio just pushed him around. He hated every minute. And I felt that every modern blockbuster we get nowadays feels like that Planet of the Apes remake in that... There's no real auteur. I mean, I, I, I keep going on about auteurs. Like oh, I, there's the auteurship of it. He's on scene. Oh, no, no, he's on scene. Help. I mean, not, Help. I mean, 
the last film I did see at cinema was an Antonioni film. But but what I mean is <laughs> Anton, please. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you who he is later. Then. But but but, uh, but uh, that's the all of these films feel very committee driven. Yes, as if fifty guys in suits have signed off on every gesture. I mean, it's probably how they they've gone. Oh, let's put Phoebe Waller-Bridge in the film. And she is very much the new Ricky Gervais in the sense that she can only play Phoebe Waller-Bridge. That's it. Yes. I was actually hoping she would turn to the camera <laughs> and address us. It would have made it more interesting, particularly at the end where like Indy gets back with his wife and they leave them. Yeah. That was per- She could have just said, oh, we'll leave them to it. Yeah. Like that would have been a perfect oh, moment. I'll take Amazon no. 60 million and do nothing. Oh, <laughs> He's aged a bit, hasn't he? Like, you know, just them chipping in ever so often. I think that would have worked. They had to make her his goddaughter because, A, I don't think they would have let us get away with the age thing, but I bet they would have had conversations about it. (laughs) You know, also, if you told me in real life that Harrison Ford was dating Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I would believe it. We've been dating for a while. I took her up in my plane. (laughs) I love the the Harrison Ford press junkets that emerge where he clearly doesn't want to be there and says how much he doesn't want to be there. Like every interview looks like it's taking a further 10 years off his life. They're, they're kind of more interesting than the film. The thing, the weird thing about the modern junkets is you get these like 21 year old bloggers who are interviewing him. About like 20 years ago, he hated doing it where he would get the finest film critics of all time interviewing him. Now, now he gets like, like movie lover eighty two. Have you seen these memes him? about you, Harrison? Have you seen these memes? Do you want to see them? Do you like them, Harrison? I'd rather you were dead. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing about Harrison, because he's only ever had one Oscar nomination for for Witness, which is an eighties movie. It's a good movie. But, yeah. But like, when you consider things like you know Jonah Hill's got two Oscar nominations. <laughs> yeah, that Jeremy Renner's got two. Weird. Affleck's won two Oscars. That is odd. So Ford is quite underappreciated, but then actually when you delve into all the films he's done that isn't really the big blockbusters, there isn't that many. I think also Harrison Ford was around when there were a lot of proper good actors. Like Ben Affleck is maybe the best we have now, but back when Ford was about... about No, he's not. But there was a lot more competition, I would say. And he was just, he was doing kind of the blockbusters of the time. Yeah, because I think Ford, nominated in 85, so that, who won? I think William Hurt won in 85. William Hurt's a good actor. Yeah, like, he's an, an actor, actor. Actor, actor. Whereas Affleck, yeah, it's, it is strange. I mean, when you look at, I mean, last year, Colin Farrell and Brandon Fraser. But brilliant performances. But 20 years ago, they, they would have been laughed out of town. Well, speaking about 20 years ago, like this de-aging thing, just doesn't work for me. It doesn't work if they put his 81-year-old voice in. No, it doesn't. But I realised when I see it, I spend all my time thinking about whether the de-aging is good or not. I'd missed like three minutes of the movie. I was just looking at his face, which didn't look real. It looked like a computer game. I'm glad you said that because there have been so many Assassin's Creed-style games I've played where you have to jump up a train carriage and jump down whack two Nazis and then jump up again. And it felt just like that. It did. And it was a really dark sequence that was, wasn't it? Like it was, it was too dark. I think visually it was either that golden hue filter that they put over everything. Yeah. It was just so strange. Yeah. It, it, like I said, it, it didn't feel, I don't know if it was green screened or not, but every scene did feel like it was green screened. That opening sequence, it actually 
bothered me quite a lot. I didn't like the de-aging. The CGI was evident. And what really annoyed me is they they superheroed Indiana Jones. Like the whole point of that character is he's kind of a... He's not very good at what he does. Yeah, he's a bumbling idiot. Yeah, he bumbles his way through it. He gets hit and it hurts. But with this, he was like, he jumped onto a train like it was nothing. Like we would have seen him struggle to get onto a train back in the day. But nowadays yeah. it's like, oh yeah, he's got on a train. He's running across the top of the train. He's he's getting pushed up against the tunnel roof of the train he's just kind of it tickles like what this is not indiana jones i'm afraid the problem with special effects nowadays is like i've already reconciled with myself that i'll be able to see anything on screen and so because i believe that i can see anything on screen now nothing will really impress me anymore because oh yeah like i I think the last time i saw special effects i was like wow these are good special effects was probably something like independence day where like it looked amazing for what we were used to all saving private ryan or something you know but like they were like late 90s movies because now like big deal I, i i know you can cgi anything and that's one of the problems i have with a lot of the disney films is is they kind of look like well-animated cartoons. They do. I kind of need to see that human factor. I think one of the reasons The Dark Knight is such a really popular film and, and mm. it is very good is because quite often it looks quite real. Because it was real. It, it, like The sky is just one shade of mist. It's not like cinematically yeah. digitized golden hour sunset it actually just looks like a normal sky i think nolan uses a lot more vfx than he gives credit for but there is a a kind of tangible there is something real about his films and and that's the old indiana jones movies you know you feel you feel the peril because he's actually being someone is being dragged across the floor whereas in this it's just it's pretend isn't it where would you if you found a fisher in time where do you think you would like to go back to or what you know historical figure would you like to meet that's a good question i'd quite like to go back to meet kevin smith's mum and stop him being bored (laughs) you'd be like the terminator yeah i'd like all all the bad filmmakers and you don't know her name either so you just go around saying kevin smith's mom yeah and she doesn't even know so yeah, that could be that could be interesting. Oh, I, I you know that's unfair to Kevin Smith. There must be worse filmmakers than him that I would need to stop. Oh yeah, there are definitely. There's so many creative works that I'd like to stop happening. <laughs> I could spend five years just undoing bad artistic choices. I mean, what a mission! Yeah, yeah, and then I would only just get to like the seventies. I'm like, oh god, I got there's so much in the seventies I've, I've got to do. And, <laughs> and I really hate films like The Matrix. Okay. I just think it's a really boring, rubbish film. The first, Don't get me started on the sequels, but the first one. And again, I just don't understand anyone who likes it, but everyone likes it. So maybe it's me. Maybe I need to go back in time like Doc Brown and, and just go and live in the 1800s where I can be blissfully free of everyone's terrible opinions. That might work. Although I was thinking like, the problem with going back in time is no time is going to be as pleasant to live in as it is now everyone would stink yeah this is true they would just be conversations would be weird because everyone was so formal weren't they up to a point yeah everything was very formal even in the you know like the 60s and stuff and also so boring like imagine being in the victorian times and like you just sit around all day what do you do what do you do no movies obviously you know that butterfly effect of changing history and there's so many 
circumstances that you think are based on luck alone. But yeah, which Indiana Jones seemed to completely forget about at the end of the movie when he said, I'll stay here. Like you can't, you can't stay there. Well, he can because it's already happened. But he can't, can he? He's going to mess it all up. No, but you can't. It's already happened. So, it, so the past with Archimedes has already got Indiana Jones in it, but only up to a point. What would have been cool is if about three quarters of the way through the film, we see Indiana Jones's hat and whip buried in the to sort of gravel with Archimedes' watch. That again, there's so many more interesting things they could have done. Yeah, but that would have been foreshadowing, which again doesn't seem to exist in these films anymore. Like the scene I was talking about in Raiders of the Lost Ark with the plane. You immediately see the propeller from the beginning. You know it's coming. In these kind of films, because they're so fast, you don't see an obstacle until it's about to hit someone in the face. And it's like, oh, look where that come from. There's no, there's no foreshadowing at all. Yeah, it just arrives. I agree. And I, and I think that puts into perspective, like Back to the Future 2, how complicated that movie could have been. Yeah. And how well they did to explain it. Because it's n- you're never lost in Back to the Future 2. No. It was all over the place. And yet you know what's going on. Whereas Indiana Jones, I don't know if they could have handled that level of complexity. It doesn't make sense. I'm sure. I haven't thought about it that much, but I'm pretty sure it could be very easily uh, broken, their time travel. <laughs> it doesn't work at all. And it's just... Oh. Raph, this is interesting because you did say you quite enjoyed it. So are we going to flush Indiana Jones away like... One of the fellas who guns, goes underwater is flushed to the bottom of the ocean when uh, someone cuts his rope. Or are we going to fish it out of the sea like the Dial of Destiny is fished out of an old library? Uh, what do you think? What do you think? Well, I think it's probably better than all the other films you've put in there. What, in the Tank of Glory? Yeah. Oh, shut up. What are you talking about? I mean, you've probably put in there, let me think, um, The Avengers 22. No, what's okay. In the moment, The Loved Ones, Infinity Pool, Extraction 2, Evil Dead Rise, and John Wick 4. Have you seen any of those films? I mean, what a sorry state for cinema, isn't it? Where all of them, even the one we're talking about, is a numbered sequel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. This is like the age. I remember growing up in, in the late 80s where... You would go and see films at the cinema, but you knew deep down that all of them were quite rubbish. Like I remember mm. going to see Police Academy 5. Yeah. And Superman 4 and Jaws 4. I saw all of these films in the Plymouth cinema as a sort of, I was probably nine or 10 years old. And even then I knew that they were garbage, but that was all we were given. And it feels like now, now is that time again. Yeah, nothing's changed. It's all cycles, Raph. All goes around in cycles. We're back in Plymouth. It's people like you just paying to see this rubbish. I wouldn't have gone to see this unless I had to do it for a podcast. I wasn't that bothered. Uh, it's actually your fault. Um, but what would you do? Would you flush it away or would you fish it out? I think it can be fished out. I think I think there's some merits to it. I think it's perfectly serviceable film. You know, I'm talking about it like it's a train ride to Penzance. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, the journey was fine. Perfectly uh, decent ride. Good window seat. I had a cup of tea. Uh, yeah, nice friendly staff. It's three-star TripAdvisor review. <laughs> I was in the quiet carriage. No one made a racket. You know, <laughs> no one told me to, to smile on the train. It uh, was absolutely fine. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's probably better than all the other films that you've put in there. That is the most miserable fish it out I think we've ever had on this podcast. 
You sounded so depressed when you said that. I was just lamenting. I think you should flash Maybe it I away. Maybe I should go back in time and save cinema, really. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should. Well, I would flash it away because I thought it was quite dull and a bit of a mess. As my son said, it was fine. But I'm afraid I want more than fine. Uh, so this one is getting flushed, which means it's getting flushed. It's not going in the tank of glory. It's getting flushed away. I'm so goodbye, <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Uh, right. So that was Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Onto this episode's top five. The top five is trivia based for you, as I as oh, I God. feel like I'm doing with my guest hosts now. So I asked ChatGPT. <laughs> oh, by the way. I'm going to ask you five questions. If you get three of them right, I, I have to do a forfeit. If you don't get at least three right, you have to do a forfeit. Okay. So I said to ChatGPT, I need 10 questions with answers for a pretentious cinephile. Guilty as charged. <laughs> this is what they came up with. Can you discuss the thematic depth and symbolism <laughs> in Ingmar Bergman's persona? So the thing about persona is you kind of get a sense of, obsessive possession of one person versus another so it's like the duality of the watcher and, and the, the object that you love but also the sense of self you could argue fundamentally that this is a very core thematic journey that Bergman wants us to go on in most of his films until he gets into the 70s where it gets very sort of relationship dysfunctional wow well look, i'm going to accept that as correct but i'll tell you the answer okay they said Persona delves into the complex nature of identity, the blurred boundaries between reality and illusion, and the existential struggles of human existence. The film's symbolic imagery and ambiguous narrative invite deep analysis and provoke intellectual introspection. So yeah, you were on the right track. Now, I got these questions which are more like discussion points. I'm not doing that. Yeah. But well done. So you can have one. Then I adapted my chat GPT request. I said, I need 10 trivia questions with answers for a pretentious cinephile. So these are the questions I'm going to ask. Are you ready? Go on in. Who won the Best Director Oscar for the film Birdman 2014? Alejandro Inaritu. That's correct. Well done. Thank you. Good job. Which renowned Japanese director directed films like Rashomon and Seven Samurai? Akira Kurosawa. Yes. Well, look, you've got three out of five already. These are a lot easier than the others. We might go back to one for the last one. You're looking for one that's hard, aren't you? Uh, they're not. They weren't that hard. They were. Oh, this one's a good one for you because I know you like Oscars and the Academy Awards. In which year was the first ever Academy Award for Best Picture awarded? 27. It was 1929. <sighs> oh, you did very well, though. I'm going to ask you one more of the ones from before because they're fun. Um, <laughs> discuss the influence of Italian neorealism on contemporary cinema. The concept of neorealism on cinema, I mean, the clues in the title, it was very much dealing with the poverty of the working man who can't afford his bills, has to live on the streets versus mm. the sort of fantastical elements of a lot of, you know, the seeker films like Miracle in Milan or even the Bicycle Thieves, where it's, it's a very Dickensian, almost Chaplin-esque rags Rags versus Riches story. I find it I've been watching a lot of Tzika lately and a lot of neorealism. And, and so to me, it, it's that state oppressive poverty that 
is is glaring through every frame of the of the cinema. Raph, I knight you, pretentious cinephile. Well done. The thing is, I wasn't well even cheating with these answers. No, I know that was straight out. That was very good. It says Italian there. Uh, Italian, I can't even say it. Italian neorealism emerging in the aftermath of World War II depicted the harsh realities of post-war Italy with a focus on ordinary people and social issues. Its emphasis on authenticity and humanism has had a profound impact on subsequent generations of filmmakers, inspiring a more realistic and socially conscious approach to storytelling. Again, you did very well. I'm very impressed. Good for you. You know your cinema. Well, that's because I I basically, I I watch films for (laughs) grown-ups. (laughs) <laughs> on the toilet so that means i have to do a forfeit my forfeit to you is to travel back in time to 212 i can't remember the year 212 bc and be impaled by a roman <laughs> i mean we could read between the lines there uh, i guess we'll see what happens next time a- any interpretation of impaled i will take <laughs> oh good lord uh excellent okay well i'll look forward to that so All that's left to do is to thank our Patreons uh, this time. And I guess we should probably compare them to famous historical figures. So there's Mike Foster, lovely Mike Foster, another school friend from Plymouth. He would be... Harold Shipman. (laughs) I was thinking more of a Mandela. (laughs) Mike Foster is Mandela. There's my mum... Joan of Arc, obviously. Joan of Arc. And my dad, you know, he's a very practical man. Yeah. I feel like he would have built cities, maybe like a... Ted Bundy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he did build, he built something. Well, Ted Bundy was practical. He he pulled people off the streets. He did. Uh, Again, more like a Leonardo da Vinci, like, you know, like someone who... Archimedes. Christopher Wren. Yeah. Or Ted Bundy. I'll let my dad choose. He might write in again. Um, we'll see. And you, Raph, you. I felt like I slipped through a paradox in time where I am thanking myself. Yes. Charles Manson. <laughs> um, well, I mean, he wrote some songs for the Beach Boys. He did? He's a talented, creative song. I, I'm, I'm not saying he's creative before I get... <laughs> John Wayne Gacy, Ed Gain. All Ed the best. Gain. You know, all the famous serial killers. I actually don't mind being a serial killer as much as I mind you saying I was like a silencer pistol the other week. <laughs> well, yeah, because what, well, how did I put it? Because you don't know, he, you don't know he's there until you're dead, I think yeah. was. That yeah. sounds more sinister than me chopping up people. Yeah, as it does, it does. Good. Well, I'm glad we're all on the same page. Anyway, Raph, thank you for joining me, my friend. The pleasure's been fun. all yours. Yes, it has. And, uh, if you want to see more of Raf, you should check out his Instagram. Where do we go for your photos? Raf PH Insta- Instagram R A P H P H. Very easy. Not Ralph though. If you call me Ralph, you'll you'll make me grumpy all day, like half my colleagues. Please send him a message saying smile. I'll show you smile sunshine. <laughs> but no, a lot of awesome pictures on your Instagram page, and uh, yeah, sweet. So, and also please check out this podcast instagram page and facebook and twitter we put most stuff on instagram so you should go there and subscribe to us like us review us rate us write us something we love it and we'll see you next time so raf i'm gonna let you sign us off keep flushing keep